Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. I wanted to... DMAC to read that because uh, we don't go back to the context of for unto us a child is born. We don't read the whole context. So I wanted him to read the context. It was depressing. It was dark. It was ugly. It was, it was something that uh, none of us would like to be a part of. And if you go back in history, which I'm a history guy, you will find that um, the way we live today is not the way they lived back then. And I'll talk more about that. In the meantime, I want to start with this. I like Tracy. I like Christmas songs. I love Christmas season because of all the songs. You go into a secular store and you hear songs about Jesus. That's pretty cool. And you hear all these songs going on and, and some are, are just uh, out there telling about Jesus. Others are a little bit more of, oh, you know, hidden and overt. One song that you probably don't know the history of. You sing it all the time, but you, ha- you don't have a clue what you're singing. On the first day of Christmas. You, you sing that a lot, but I don't think you know the entire story. The actual story is that between 1350 and 1660 in the land of England, United Kingdom, there was such oppression upon believers that they could not express their faith to anyone. So what they did is they hid the message of the gospel and of the Bible in a song called the 12 Days of Christmas. Let me describe what this really means. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. True love represents God and me. Represents those who are Christians and have received the gift of life. A partridge in a pear tree represents Jesus Christ who died on a tree as a gift from God. Two turtle doves were the Old and New Testaments, another gift from God. Three French hens, now this is true. Three French hens. You guys think you, 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 you had no idea you were singing about this. Three French hens represented faith, hope, and love. Four calling birds spoke of the four gospels that tell the story of salvation. Five golden rings spoke of the first five books of the Bible. Six geese a laying spoke of the days of creation. Seven swans a swimming spoke of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Eight maids of milking. What could that be? Spoke of the eight Beatitudes. Nine ladies dancing. Spoke of the nine fruits of the Spirit. Ten lords a-leaping. Spoke of the Ten Commandments. Eleven pipers piping. Spoke of the eleven faithful disciples. And the 12 drummers drumming spoke of the 12 apostles. Now you will never sing that song 
the same. So, Christmas, a delightful time, a wonderful time, but we've kind of dumbed it down. We need to realize the truth behind Christmas. It really isn't Santa's sleigh and everything else. We can celebrate that and have a good time with it, but in reality, there is a much deeper meaning. But you cannot... The meaning of Christmas cannot be truly understood without going back to see the origins of God's plan on earth in Genesis 1. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden of the earth as co-regents or sent ambassadors to steward the earth in his behalf. He was the king of the universe and they were to be the king and queen of the earth, having been tasked by God to bring heaven to earth. Genesis 1:26. then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. A bunch of creepers. <laughs> then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So they were sent. They were sent by, they were created by God, but they were sent. They were both kings and priests. They were to rule as kings and spend time with God as priests. Everything went well until one day this evil usurper came down and tempted them and caused them to sin, therefore removing them from the office of king and separating their role as a priest. They gave up their role to rule over the earth and basically performed a treasonous act that resulted in the title deed of the earth to be turned over to this evil usurper. The kingdom of God on the earth, representing heaven, had been invaded and scarred and defaced. God's appointed king had been removed and an evil king had taken his place with plans of ruining everything God had created. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden forcefully, never to return, living out their days in horrid regret of defecting from the benevolent king who had so graciously created and appointed them as kings of the earth. History tells us that for much of the rest of their life, they lived in caves because they couldn't stand the remembrance of God and how good it was. Now, the kingdom of God was no longer in primary place in the earth. And a rebel king was now in charge, mauling the earth with his evil and twisted plans. And as a result, all of creation was removed as God's trophy case of his goodness. And instead, creation now reflected the evil intent of its new owner and king. The result on the earth was deep darkness. You will see this all through the Bible, deep darkness and a deep twisted evil that played out on earth in ways that no man could even fathom. Yet, at that very moment, God instituted a plan of redemption and repurchase of the earth, which would boggle the minds of all who saw it. God's plan, this is crazy, involved a baby, a virgin, a manger, several shepherds and a few wise men. Great plan, God. God's ideas are always upside down to us. 
they're counterintuitive. In order to live, you have to die. In order to receive, you must give. The list goes on. Through his plan, God's plan, his desire was to redeem mankind and the earth and reestablish his kingdom on the earth that he had originally placed here through Adam. In other words, his was a divine plan to take the earth back, back over by death and resurrection of his only son and thereby return the earth to its original owner. His son was all man and all God. So if he were to give his life and sacrifice for all mankind and creation and then be raised from the dead, he would have rightful ownership of the earth once again since he was the original owner, having returned to regain it by one righteous and just act. Revelation tells us that he went to hell for three days where he took back death and hell and took back the title to the earth having paid for it with, a, with his very blood. You know, uh, the blood of Jesus is very valuable. Yes. Verse five of chapter one of Revelation. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have, I have the keys of death and Hades. So who's in charge now? Who took the keys? Who has the title deed? So here we are. And Revelation is very clear about this. According to this scripture, he reestablished the earth as a settlement of his kingdom and has made us all kings and priests once again. Now you have to understand something, which I don't think we, we're, we're too dumbed down in this. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't lose a religion. They lost a kingdom. The early Christians didn't even like being called Christians because it reflected on a religion, not on a kingdom. You see, before we are born again, we are in the kingdom of darkness. When you're born again, you're in the kingdom of God and light. So what Jesus came to do was to pay for your sin and then tell you and explain to you that you're now entering a new kingdom. In other words, primarily, Jesus came back to reintroduce the kingdom of God, which had been lost under the usurper. And so God's plan came to be, Christmas is the reintroduction of the king of the kingdom. And that we are citizens of the kingdom of God and that we have rightful ownership inheritance and he has come back to make us kings and priests again. You see, God's plan was always to have a priest with a crown. He couldn't do it in the Old Testament because he hadn't bought back the earth yet. But now the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
So Jesus came not just to save us and redeem us from our sins, but also to introduce us and establish his kingdom on the earth. His kingdom is moving forward. He took back dominion and gave that dominion to us. That's why it is, it is very important for you to understand the power of his kingdom and what he's doing the earth today, even in spite of deep darkness. Now, uh, DMAC read about the deep darkness and the depression and everything that was before the birth. And this, this was a prophetic word in Isaiah chapter eight. Then we go to Isaiah nine and the very first word of Isaiah nine is very, very interesting, deliberately placed. And it says in Isaiah chapter nine, verse one, first word, it says, nevertheless. Now this prophecy was given during a difficult time in Israel. It was dark. It was depressing. It was awful. The earth was without, was with, with, with a great defacing. There was darkness everywhere. There was oppression. There was slavery. There, you couldn't go to a store and buy things. You just had to kind of grovel out in life. You would not recognize the earth at that time if you were there today. And this prophecy comes, very first word. Nevertheless, in the worst of times, God's people always have a nevertheless. They may be persecuted, but nevertheless, you're not forsaken. You may have suffered a setback, but nevertheless, God is in charge. Whenever things are at their darkest, the one who formed the light, Always seen to bring hope to those cast into dark difficulty. He comes to deliver you and give you a nevertheless. Today you may have trouble in your life, but I'm here to tell you that the God of creation, the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, wants to come and bring a nevertheless in your life. To bring you out of darkness into light. In this terrible time for Israel, this was an awful time. This is 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years before this prophecy was given. For unto us a child is born. 700 years. Israel's about ready to be swallowed up, but God brought a word of comfort and triumph. God brought a nevertheless into their lives and a description of this person who would deliver them. I'm here to talk about the person who would deliver us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He didn't say, and a religion will be upon his shoulder. Come on, people, we have to understand, this isn't all about religion. It's not about an experience. It's about an entrance into a kingdom. Once you're born again, you're in the kingdom of God. You're under the government of God. This book right here is not just a devotional book. It is a legal document indicating that you have entered the kingdom of God as a citizen of the king once you are born again. That's what Jesus came back to give us. An understanding, a reintroduction to what he did and gave to Adam and Eve in the very beginning. He came at Christmas time and he tells us, you are now kings and priests in my kingdom once you receive the gift that I have given you, which is the gift of life through Jesus Christ. (sighs) You can get me going here. And his name, 
This is the person who will deliver us and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there it is again, and peace, there will be no end. You see, once the government of God comes back in, it will not end. It's only increasing in its power and authority. Don't look at what you see outside. I'm telling you right now, all the anxiety and everything you see in the world, it's a drop in the bucket of what God is going to do. He's here to bring light and life. He's behind the scenes setting everything up. And yet we, we grovel around, oh, look at the terrible things happening. Yeah, but look at what's going on behind the scenes. I read the book. I saw the prophecies. I saw the last page. We win. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God says a, a child will be born who will be king. And in fact, God who would take the government on his shoulders. He, takes, he has pretty big shoulders. You see, you were never meant to carry burdens. You were never meant to carry yokes. You weren't meant to. God was. It says, and he will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. This was the prophecy. Then he begins to list out the attributes of the name of the person who would deliver us. He begins to identify who he is. He names him. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. These are the five distinctive words that Isaiah prophesies will be in, inherent within the Messiah. Names are distinctive and are indicative of a person's character and nature. They are also unique and set us apart. Here God begins to relate the distinctives of the king who will come. He is a wonderful counselor. So if you're talking to friends and God walked up, could you introduce God? Do you know his name? Oh, this is uh, wonderful. Oh, this is counselor. This is mighty God. This is, I mean, there's dozens more. I could spend all day talking to you about the names of God, which I have done in the past. But it's unique. Isaiah's names for God start with wonderful. Wonderful comes from the word wonder. The word wonder is never used in scripture to refer to man's work. But rather as God's response to insolvable problems which are beyond man's capabilities. We use the word wonderful too haphazardly, I think. Our God is full of wonders. He healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, caused the blind to see, opened deaf ears, cast out demons, stilled storms. And then that's just in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he comes along, he parts seas and rivers, feeds an entire nation for 40 years with food from the sky, delivers people from danger, caused the sun to stand still, healed those who were dying, in fact, raised the dead, even in the Old Testament. God of wonder. His love is the wonder of angels and saints alike. In his birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, he was wonderful. He's truly God of signs and wonders. But not only wonderful, he's counselor. This title refers to one who has insight, who knows what to do and is able to implement the plan. For he is intimately acquainted with the counsels of God from eternity. What in the world are we trying to do figuring things out for ourselves when we have access to the counselor? Come on. 
He has all wisdom and counsel. He's with the Father, and the Father is speaking counsel to him. He stands alongside man to give us counsel, for he is the wisdom of the Father. His counsel brings about our welfare, and his counsel always works. I think we need to listen more quietly and quickly to the counsel of Almighty God. Not only that, but he's mighty God. This literally means God warrior. It's used, this word is used 156 times in the Old Testament of the heroes and champions among God's holy army. As he has wisdom, he also has strength. He has all the resources necessary to bring about the salvation of his people. Armies of earth, eat your heart out. For the armies of heaven are massive. His arm is not too short to deliver us from our enemies. Beyond that, he is everlasting father. Literally means my father forever. I love that. My father forever. God is forever our father. He has a fatherly tenderness and compassion for those he loves. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He's the author of everlasting life and happiness for us. He's the father of the world to come. He was from eternity and the father of the great work of redemption. And love is his foundation. For God is love. He didn't say anything else, but God is love. But he's also prince of peace. As a king, he preserves the peace. He commands peace and even creates peace in his kingdom. He is our peace and it is his peace that both keeps the hearts of his people and rules in them. He's not only a peaceable prince and his reign is peaceable, but he is the author and giver of all good and all peace in the present and the future. If you want peace, I can tell you where to go. There is no peace without the prince of peace. As the Prince of Peace, he directed all the violent forces of hell against himself. And he paid the supreme sacrifice. He did not build his kingdom through oppression or through war. He refuses to coerce his way into your heart, but simply knocks on the door and waits for it to open. If there's no room in your inn, he will simply sleep in a cave. All of these names illustrate the king who is to come and deliver us. They are indicative of his nature and who he really is. Psalm 113, 2 says, let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. We should praise God because of his name. You should reflect on these names that Isaiah gave this Christmas. You should call on those names. You should ask him for his decisive uh, intervention in way. Maybe you need peace. We'll call on the God of peace. Maybe you need wisdom. Call on the, count, the God of, of the counselor. Each of God's names reveals a wonderful aspect about his nature that can actually meet all of your deepest needs uh, your, and comfort you in times of difficulty or tragedy. Some of you might be going through that. And he wants to release in you a new level of praise in times of joy. God is so vast that the heavens can't contain him. He takes the universe and places it in the span of his hand. I cannot understand that. His personality is so varied that one name cannot adequately describe him. God reveals himself to his people through his names. These names are given by Isaiah. Let me go on a little further in this scripture. For us, it says Christ was born. For unto us, a child was born. Christ was born. The word born has many thoughts attached to it. Uh, it has a thought of a tiny baby who 
has been conceived to live in the realm of a family has a connotation of humble, vulnerable, helpless. A baby is the most helpless, small, and vulnerable person on the earth. They cannot do anything by themselves. I know I got four of them in my house right now. <laughs> Jesus was said to be born. Luke 2, 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He came for you, it says, for there is born to you this day. Christ was born for you, for me. Matthew 2, 11 says, or 121 says, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He came for a purpose, praise God, born for a purpose, born to intervene in our world. Born to not only save us from our sins, but enter us into his kingdom once again, which we will spend with him forever. For me, Christ was born. Wow. For you. This was the greatest journey that ever took place. This scripture that I read to you. In our lifetime, there have been a lot of miraculous journeys that have taken place. A person's gone around the world in a hot air balloon. I wouldn't even want to try that. Swinging across the English Channel. Crazy idea. Trip to the moon. I mean, we've had all of these journeys that mankind has, has attempted in every aspect of life. But the greatest journey of all time was when Jesus took the trip from heaven to earth. Ending up in this stable, in a barn. Now think about it, in a barn in Bethlehem. If I was a king, I would not come in a barn but he came from heaven to earth. That journey resulted in the greatest impact on mankind that has ever been and ever will be. John 1, 1 and following says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was such darkness. Do you know Jesus came at the fullness of time because it was the darkest during the Roman Empire and Jesus came back to express light and his light is ever getting brighter. This scripture tells us this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Now this is significant, this journey. This is just totally significant. I want to give you four points before I close. This, this significant, the significance of this, of this Messiah, this Christ being born, this baby, Jesus journeyed from heaven to earth, which, which really is uh, amazing to me. Word is a name for Jesus, for he was the word made flesh. Before there were words, there was the word. The word lived in heaven. The son of God as the word designed heaven. He created it, he built it. Heaven was his home. He owned it. It was his perfect place. A place of satisfaction with the best of everything. It was more magnificent than all the stars on a cloudless night. More magnificent than the most beautiful, extraordinary sunset that we've ever seen. A place happier than the happiest days that any of us have ever experienced, including Disneyland. That was his home. But the Christmas journey brought him from there to here. That prophetic word in Isaiah 9 was telling us that the greatest journey in all mankind would be seen after 700 years. For the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He moved to our world from his world. Now he was born to a woman in one of our stables, in one of our towns, in one of our countries, right here on earth, just like we are born. 
But there's an incredible contrast between heaven and earth. I'm going to try to bring you a metaphor to describe it. And this doesn't even do it justice. There is a huge garbage dump in Manila, Philippines. On this dump, there are tens of thousands. I've been by it. There are tens of thousands of people who make their homes on the garbage dump. Shacks are constructed out of the things other people have thrown away. Children are sent out every morning to scavenge for food out of other people's garbage so they can have family meals. People have been born and grew up there in the garbage dump. They have had their families, their children, their shacks, their garbage to eat, finished out their lives and died there without ever going anyplace else ever. But the most amazing thing is that there are American missionaries who also live in the garbage dump. There are Christians who have chosen to leave America and go there to share the love of Jesus Christ to people who otherwise would never hear it or receive it. Amazing. Here's a person who has what we have and chooses to go and live in a garbage dump. Amazing, but not near as amazing as Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth. For the contrast is even greater. He came to the garbage dump of the earth. The Son of God made that decision, that journey, and knew what he was doing. He knew the sacrifice. He made that trip on a mission in order to save the human race. He wanted to share the love of God with people who would otherwise not know. Because earth and humanity, had create, which he had created, had gone terribly wrong. Sin had turned us against God, polluted the earth. Everything you see evil today was a result of the usurper coming to the earth and stealing. Earth once had been a paradise, but now had become a garbage dump. But he chose to come from the perfect to the abnormal. It's quite a choice. The secondly, Jesus journeyed from eternity to time. Now this is just amazing to me. Remember it says in John, in the beginning? He was with God in the beginning. When was the beginning? Anybody here at the beginning? Lift your hand if you were there at the beginning. I'd like to talk to you. Find out what was going on in the, in the beginning. Go back as far as you can imagine. One million, two million, I don't know how many years. And still the beginning was before that. In the beginning, the word was. Meaning that he already lived and existed before he never began. He always was. So he decides to leave eternity, no time in eternity, and come to a place with time. Think about it. He came to our calendars, our clocks, our way of thinking and organizing schedules, our iPads and, you know, Google and everything we do. In this life, he began to speak of the days of the week and, and he lived in terms of bedtime and work days and days off. Heaven, that's not the way it is. He counted birthdays and anniversaries, which aren't in heaven either. He left the expanses of an untimed eternity to come to a place with a clock ticking at all times. He must have felt like a caged animal. When he came in our time, he fit into our schedules. He became a part of our history. The Bible says that he came at the right or the fullness of time. He came in a sense to reset the clocks of time. Once our clocks were calculated by the reign of kings or queens, for instance... If you lived during the, king, the time of King John, you might say, this is the 20th year of the reign of King John. That's how they designated their calendar. But today, the calendars of the world are set in terms of the coming of the Son of God. Tell me that's not significant. 
Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindu, atheists, they all must set their calendars and clocks by the coming of the Son of God. Legal documents, all, if you read them sometime, it's just fascinating in the year of our Lord. Even heaven, I believe, was reset in terms of the coming of the Son of God from heaven to earth. Heaven and earth are now synchronized so that heaven is connected to earth. Earth is forever connected to heaven and he will make a new heaven and a new earth. Not only that, but Jesus journeyed from spirit to body. This blows me away. John 1.14 says the word became flesh. Jesus, eternal, became flesh. The son of God, the word, was not previously flesh. You couldn't see him for he was only spirit. He was invisible just as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are invisible. But being invisible does not make anything or anyone less real. And he, we know this because of waves, radio waves, and all the things that we, we have today. But in eternity, he did not have a body and did not have a name other than the Word. He was called God, Son, the Word. But when he embarked on this most amazing journey, he gained both a body and a name. He was given the name Jesus, quite common, like Bob or Dave or something today. It wasn't the name that made him special. He made the name special. He also gained a body, a body he had never had before. The Son of God became limited by space by being conceived in the body of a woman. Think of it, this eternal, powerful Son of God left heaven, became contained in a microscopic human embryo. Don't blow your mind too much. Think about it. He had not yet formed eyes or hands or feet or even a brain. God was, was contained. God who is described as light was for nine months kept in total darkness. And when he was born on Christmas day, he looked like any other human being, maybe seven pounds in weight, 20 out, 20 inches in length. He was unable to feed himself. Think about this. His eyes were slow to focus. His hands could not grasp anything. He was unable to speak, wore diapers or whatever they did back then. He was totally dependent upon a young couple who had never had a baby before for every necessity of life. This was the son of God who created everything. If your mind isn't blown yet, it should be. This is a most amazing journey allowed him to, to communicate with us in our language and be just like us while on the earth. He gave God a face. Wow. He moved from spirit to body. Now, this is what blows me away. This was not a temporary change. He took on a body for 33 years here on earth from Bethlehem's manger to Calvary's cross. But he also took on his body forever. Oh. He voluntarily took on a bodily form so that he would become human forever. There was no going back. The body that was conceived inside of Mary is the same body that was born on Christmas Day. The same body that grew up in Nazareth. It was the same body that was crucified on the cross. The same body that was laid in the grave. And then that body was resurrected back to life on Easter Sunday. That body then ascended into heaven and will wear forever through all eternity. He will always have the scars of the cross. Because he loves us so much. He became one of us forever. 
What an amazing journey. Lastly, he journeyed from deity to humanity. He was fully God. The word was God. He was God, fully God, 100% God. He was all powerful, ever present, everywhere at the same time, all knowing, no secrets. Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He was all God, yet became human. The word all God made his dwelling place among us with the name of Jesus and became fully human. He gained human feelings of delight and sorrow. I just, I don't know about you, I'm blown away this morning. All the feeling that we have, he had. And yet he was God. He had human thoughts structured the way our brain structures it. But when he became human, he remained fully God. He was 100% God and 100% man. When we speak to Jesus, we speak to God. When, when we experience Jesus, we experience God. He's God Almighty, full divine, yet Jesus, fully human, and will be as one of us forever. Came from heaven to earth, eternity to time, spirit to body, deity to humanity, to save us from our sin and to reintroduce us back into the kingdom of God. He was born to live among us, And I'm telling you right now, he came back to bring us back into this great kingdom that he has ushered. Let me say this morning, let Jesus complete his journey by being born in your life. You see, all we have to do is accept him. Be saved from our sins and enter his kingdom. He indeed becomes our Lord and Savior. But we have to take a journey. Our journey is to return towards him. Our journey is simply one of believing and receiving. Of commitment to his plan for your life. Of joining his plan for the ages and living in his kingdom forever. I'm telling you people, I'm I'm here to describe, to declare the awesomeness of God's kingdom. There's no kingdom like our God's. And I'm here to tell you today, it's going to get brighter and brighter. The power of the Holy Spirit's going to come upon the earth and his kingdom is going to be more described and declared. His kingdom is going to be more illuminated and revealed. And we're going to see darkness go and light come. All the things that you see around the world right now, it's only temporary in place and God will remove those. Psalms 2 says God laughs. He laughs at those who say they can be like God. Our only response, Jesus, come in, be born in my life. I want to be part of your body, your bride, your family, your kingdom. So I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you're my Lord and Savior. Everything changes. Everything. Wow. I want to read a story as I close. I... I'm doing pretty good. Time spot, you know, this time thing, I'm, I'm frustrated with it too, God. Can't wait for eternity, no time. I want to read a story. I like to read stories at Christmas time. I read this story, let's see, when was it? I, I actually put a date on every story I read. I read this story 2000. That's a few years ago. I think I read it one other time to another group. I'm going to read it to you now. It's called The Tiny Foot. 
This is about a baby and about how God, even in the midst of difficulty and trial, brings people through it and brings glory out of it. Two days after I, two years after I came to California, there came to my office one day a fragile young woman expecting her first baby. Her history was not good from an emotional standpoint, though she came from a fine family. I built her up as well as I could and found her increasingly wholesome and interesting as time went on, partly because of the effort she was making to be calm and patient and to keep her emotional and nervous reactions under control. One month before her baby was due, her routine examination showed that her baby was in a breech position. As a rule, the baby's head is in the lower part of the uterus for months before delivery, not because it's heavier and sinks in the surrounding fluid, but simply because it fits more comfortably in that position. In this case, it was a complete breach. The baby's legs and feet being folded under it, tailor fashion in contrast to the frank breach in which the thighs and legs are folded back on a baby's body like a jackknife, the little rear end backing its way into the world first of all. The hardest thing for the attending doctor to do with any breech delivery is to keep his hands away from it until the natural forces of expulsion have thoroughly dilated the firm maternal structures that delay his progress. I waited as patiently as I could, sending frequent messages to the excited family. At last the time had come and I gently drew down one little foot. I grasped the other, but for some reason I could not understand. It would not come down beside the first one. I pulled again gently enough, but with a little force, with light pressure on the abdomen from above by my assisting nurse, and the baby's body moved down just enough for me to see that it was a little girl. And then to my consternation, I saw that the other foot would never be beside the first one. The entire thigh from the hip to the knee was missing, and that one foot never could reach below the opposite knee. And a baby girl was to suffer this, a curious defect that I had never seen before, nor have I since. There followed the hardest struggle I've ever had with myself. I knew what a dreadful effect it would have upon the unstable nervous system of the mother. I felt sure that the family would almost certainly impoverish itself in taking the child to every famous orthopedist in the world whose achievements might offer a ray of hope. Most of all, I saw this little girl sitting sadly by herself while other girls laughed and danced and ran and played. And then I suddenly realized that there was something that would save every pang but one, and that one thing was in my power. One breech baby in 10 dies in delivery because it is not delivered rapidly enough. And now if I only did not hurry, if I could slow my hand, if I could make myself delay those few short moments, it would not be an easy delivery anyway. No one in all this world would ever know. The mother, after the first shock of grief, would probably be glad she lost a child so sadly handicapped. In a year or two, she would try again, and this tragic fate would never be repeated. Don't bring this suffering upon them, the small voice within me said. This baby has never taken a breath. Don't let her ever take one. You probably can't get it out in time anyway. Don't hurry. Don't be a fool and bring this terrible thing upon them. Suppose your conscience does hurt little. Can't you stand it better than they can? I motioned to the nurse for the warm, sterile towel that is always ready for me in a breech delivery to wrap around the body, baby's body so that the stimulation of the cold air of the outside world may not induce a sudden expansion of the child's chest, causing the aspiration of fluid or mu mucus that might bring death. But this time the towel was only to conceal from the attending nurses that which, that which my eyes alone had seen. With the touch of that pitiful little foot in my hand, a pang of sorrow for the baby's future swept through me, and my decision was made. I glanced at the clock. Three of the allotted seven or eight minutes had already gone. Every eye in the room was upon me. 
And I could feel the tension in their eagerness to do instantly what I, what I asked, totally unaware of what I was feeling. I hoped they could not possibly detect the tension of my own struggle at that moment. These nurses had seen me deliver dozens of breech babies successfully. Yes, and they had seen me fail too. Now they were going to see me fail again. For the first time in my medical life, I was deliberately discarding what I had been taught was right for something that I felt sure was better. I slipped my hand beneath the towel to feel the pulsation of the baby's cord, a certain index of its condition. Two or three minutes more would be enough so that I might seem to be doing something. I drew the baby down a little lower to split out the arms, the usual next step. And as I did so, the little pink foot on the good side bobbed out from its protecting towel and pressed firmly against my slowly moving hand. The hand into whose keeping the safety of the mother and the baby had been entrusted. There was a sudden convulsive movement of the baby's body. An actual feeling of strength and life and vigor it was too much. I couldn't do it. I delivered the baby with her pitiful little leg. I told the family and the next day with a catch in my voice, I told the mother. Every foreboding came true. The mother was in a hospital for several months. I saw her once or twice and she looked like a, a, a pitiful of her former self. I, had, I heard of them directly from time to time. And as the years went on, I blamed myself bitterly for not having had the strength to yield to my temptation. Through the many years that I have been here, there has developed in our hospital a pretty custom of staging an elaborate Christmas party each year for the employees, the nurses, and the doctors of the staff. There's always a beautifully direct, decorated tree on the stage of our little auditorium. The girls spend weeks in preparation. We have so many difficult things to do during the year, so much discipline and so many of the stern realities of life that we have set aside this, this one day to touch upon the emotional and spiritual side. It is almost like going to an impressive church service as each year we dedicate ourselves anew to the year ahead. Every doctor of the staff who could possibly be there was in his seat. The first rows were reserved for the nurses and in a moment, the procession entered, each girl in uniform, each one crowned by her nurse's cap, her badge of office. Around their shoulders were their blue Red Cross capes, one end tossed back to show the deep red lining. We rose as one man to do them honor, and as the last one reached her seat and we settled in our places again, the organ began the opening notes of one of the oldest of our carols. Slowly down the middle aisle, marching down from the back of the auditorium, came 20 other girls singing softly, our own nurses in full uniform, each holding high a, ho a lighted candle while through the auditorium floated the familiar strains of Silent Night. We were on our feet again instantly. I could have killed anyone who spoke to me then because I couldn't have answered. And by the time they reached their seats, I couldn't see. And then a great blue floodlight on the, at the back was turned on very slowly, gradually covering the tree with increasing splendor, brighter and brighter, until every ornament was almost aflame. On the opposite side of the stage, a curtain was slowly drawn and we saw three lovely young musicians, all in shimmering white evening gowns. They played very softly in unison with the organ, a harp, a cello, and a violin. I'm quite sure I was not the only sissy there whose eyes were filled with tears. I've always liked the harp and I love to watch the grace of a skillful player. I was especially fascinated by this young harpist. She played extraordinarily well as if she loved it. Her slender fingers flickered across the strings and as the nurses sang, her face, made beautiful by a mass of auburn hair, was upturned as if the world that moment were a wonderful and holy place. 
I waited, and when the short program was over, to congratulate the chief nurse on the unusual effect she had arranged. And as I sat alone, there came running down the aisle a woman whom I did not know. She came to me with arms outstretched. Oh, you saw her, she cried. You must have recognized your baby. That was my daughter who played the harp. And I saw you watching her. Don't you remember the little girl who was born with only one good leg 17 years ago? We tried everything else first, but now she has a whole artificial leg on that side, but you would never know it, would you? She can walk, she can swim, and she can almost dance. The best of all, through all those years when she couldn't do those things, she learned to use her hands so wonderfully. She's going to be one of the world's great harpists. She enters the university this year at 17. She's my whole life. And now she is so happy. And here she is. As we spoke, this sweet young girl had quietly approached us, her eyes glowing, and now she stood beside me. This is your first doctor, my dear. It's our doctor, her mother said, and her voice trembled. I could see her literally swept back as I was through all the years of heartache to the day when I told her what she had to face. He was the first one to tell me about you. He brought you to me. Impulsively, I took the child in my arms. Across her warm young shoulder, I saw the creeping clock of the delivery room of 17 years before. I lived again those awful moments when her life was in my hand, when I had decided on deliberate infanticide. I held her away from me and looked at her. You never will know, my dear, I said. You never will know, nor will anyone else in all the world, just what tonight has meant to me. Go back to your heart for a moment, please, and, and play Silent Night again, for me alone. I have a load on my shoulders that no one has ever seen, a load that only you can take away. Her mother sat beside me and quietly took my hand as her daughter played. Perhaps she knew what was in my mind. And as the last strains of Silent Night, Holy Night faded again, I think I found the answer and the comfort that I had waited for so long. Every life is valuable. Every child Jesus died for. And even with that story, it reveals the powerful coming of Jesus in the prophetic. Hundreds of years before, it was told us that Jesus would come. He came to not only save us from our sin, but to cause us to enter a kingdom that will never be taken over again. He's wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, everlasting father. He's the Prince of Peace. Whatever you need this Christmas, grab it. Let his name be in your life. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, we're just so grateful for who you are, what you've done, and Lord, how you brought us into your kingdom. Over thousands of years of deliberate planning and the deliberate putting circumstances into place together. We are now the recipients of the gift of heaven, the journey that Jesus took to bring himself to us is awesome. It's wonderful. 
And we are so grateful. Lord, I pray today that there would be a new revelation and understanding of what Christmas really is all about this year. Lord, we would set aside time in quietness and solitude to just reflect on what you have done and what you are going to do. You were the great I am. And I pray this morning in this room, if there's someone here with in deep darkness or utter depression, I pray that the Prince of Peace would now take over. You would come and implant your life in us because your word says, let the peace of God rule. Let there come a rule in our lives of peace and of your wonderful love as the everlasting Father. Lord, I pray right now for those who are experiencing physical ailments, I pray that heaven would come down in this season and you would give Christmas miracles throughout this church and this congregation. We would see family after family, individual after individual, coming into a complete knowledge and a complete revelation of who you are and in that revelation would come the miracle that you desire to give them. Let miracles come. Jesus' name. With every head bowed, I want to I want to ask this question. If you if you've not allowed Jesus to be in your heart, if you've not entered the kingdom of God, if you've not had him wash you from your sins, or maybe you had that done and you just kind of walked away and you want to reintroduce yourself to Jesus or at least come back to him today. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. One, two, three. Is there anyone like that? Just lift your hand right now. Just keep your hand up. I see one. I see, I see two. Anyone else? Three. Four. Anyone else? I see five. Anyone else? At least five. Can we, can we uh, pray this prayer together, church? And in this prayer, we enter a new realm, a new kingdom. Would you pray this prayer? Dear Father, I give my life to you. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you're my Lord and Savior. Make me a brand new person. I now enter your kingdom. I commit everything to you. May I live in unity with you and your family all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.